This episode of the Internal Comms Podcast is brought to you by Acid Test, AB's unique and powerful tool for aligning organisations around a common cause. Now, we all know communication does not equal understanding. If it did, well, our jobs would be a lot easier. The acid test of internal communication is whether there is shared understanding. Is the goal clear? Are we all pulling in the same direction? Do we share the same priorities, the same purpose? Acid test is a powerful tool that reveals knowledge gaps inside organisations. It's unique and proven methodology gives you the insight and information you need to drive performance by creating deeper understanding and alignment. Now, listeners, you know how fond I am of asking open, probing questions that hopefully reveal fresh and genuine insight. Acid test is not a tick box survey. Instead, the method is a message. Simply taking part in acid test makes employees feel heard, understood and valued. Visit abcom.co.uk forward slash acid test to find out more. Download a PDF to discuss with your team and arrange an informal call to discuss acid test with me and my AB colleagues. So that address again for you, abcom, abcom.co.uk forward slash acid test. Now is the time to take a privileged peek inside the mind of your organisation by asking the questions that matter. Acid test, a communications audit without the autocomplete. Hello and welcome to the Internal Comms Podcast with me, Katie McCauley. My guest this week is Parathna Takor, who until very recently was the Head of Internal Communications at ISG, the global construction company which employs 3,000 people across 24 countries. Parathna has more than 10 years experience working across sectors in business to business and business to consumer and also expertise across the comms disciplines. From the very start of our conversation, you can hear how much Parathna has achieved in her time with ISG. She is clearly someone who likes to get stuff done. And just last year, she received an award from the company for her comms accomplishments. Now, we cover a lot of ground from the strategic to the practical. We get into the best way to analyse and map your audience, the three ways Prathna likes to think about content creation, how to design a successful values programme, a really smart structure for your line manager briefing pack, and how to influence without authority. As you'll hear, Parathana is dynamic, thoughtful, and highly articulate. So without further ado, I bring you Parathana Takor. So Parathana, thank you so much for appearing on the Internal Comms podcast. It's great to have you. Thanks so much for having me. 
I'd like to dive in by talking about actually your career path because career paths really fascinate me. It's really the choices that people have decided to make or the opportunities they've decided to grasp. One of the things I noticed immediately about your career is that you've worked across a very wide range of sectors. And I'm wondering, is that a deliberate choice? And if so, why did you make that choice? So I'll be totally honest, it didn't start off as deliberate, but now it definitely is. I think the fundamentals of communication stay the same throughout. And regardless of which industry you're working in, the language or the channel might differ based on the audience, but the principles of how you communicate, how you drive engagement, how you create a culture of inspired and informed employees remains the same. You need, I'm going to take you back to kind of Aristotle. He's my my guiding light when it comes to comms. And you have that logos, pathos, and ethos, the, the rhetoric of communications. And that's, you need logic, you need credibility, and you need empathy. And if you can assure you're employing that in all of your communications, regardless of the industry you work in, you will be successful. So it's definitely not, wasn't intentional at first, but I'm always looking to navigate different industries. So that's the first part. The second part of it is around Actually, bringing knowledge from different industries, I think, is really useful. What happens when you work in one industry, you might be looking at what your competitors are doing or have a a pulse on what's happening in that industry. But that might not give you the widest scope or understanding of different internal comms uh, tactics or strategies that you could deploy. So bringing across different industry perspectives is really useful. And then personally, kind of and, and on final note, it challenges me as a communicator to learn about industries and the people who work in them, which is what I love to do. One of the things I seem to have noticed maybe over the last five years, 10 years, is the boundaries between sectors are blurring. I mean, this happened a long time ago when banks realized they were retailers. One of my clients is one of the big four accounting firms. And in many ways, they're also a tech business. Are you finding this? Yeah, absolutely. So I have spent the past five years working in construction and actually a big driver in the past 12 to 18 months is around recruiting people from the energy industry and from the tech industry, because it no longer is that you have to just have been educated in the construction industry and an engineer in that way. You might be somebody that's worked in energy or oil and gas, and you have the skills and you have the expertise, and it's about applying them in different ways. And it's been part of our recruitment campaigns, actually, um, externally, and also trying to get people to think of referrals that they, somebody they might know to bring into the business and saying, it doesn't have to be just construction. It can be regard um, any industry. And, and I think that bringing different perspectives and bringing different knowledge is what's going to help strengthen employers' um, brands and, and employers' cultures. Mm, that makes perfect sense. So let's talk about ISG. Mm-hmm. As you said, a construction company employing, I believe, about 3,000 people, but across yeah. 24 countries. Is that right? Yes. Yes, it is. So if I take you back five years when you first joined, what did internal comms look like then? What were some of the challenges you knew immediately you were going to have to face? Yeah, so it wasn't really internal comms when I joined. Um, I was the first dedicated comms person to join the business. We had Mark comms teams, but they were a lot more tactical. Um, In terms of the channels and the internal comms platforms that they had, they had an intranet, which I had never, it was probably kind of Windows 95. I actually think it was Windows 97 that they were still operating on. And this was in 2016. And it showed corporate news, so anything happening from group. And the way ISG is split up is into different business units. So you could work for the fit-out business unit or the construction business unit. And the internet would only show you information happening in your business unit. Now, 
that's fine to keep you up to speed. And if you weren't on the team bidding for a specific project, but generally, you know what's happening in your business unit. The power of an intranet or any internal comms channel is to get a wider perspective and understanding of what's happening across the business. So pretty soon into me joining, we were privatized and we appointed a new board. I kind of wrote on the coattails of that. And we had a new board join in May and our CEO in that his first communication committed that for every single month for his entire tenure as CEO, he was going to send a monthly email. And he still does that. And we're in 2021. Pandemic meant daily emails and weekly emails. But regardless, there's always been a monthly email from him. And that has been the one source of truth. And I think we've seen the things in like Edelman's chest barometer and stuff, the importance of having a leader and, and the CEO communicating. And in the surveys we've done, we've had feedback that remains the most important comms channel that people engage with. So after that, we appointed to the new CEO, new board, and we, like I said, wrote on the coattails of that, launched a new brand in terms of vision, values, brand proposition, behaviors, everything that comes with a rebrand. And the only thing was with not a new logo, which I think was the, the right approach because often you just have a new logo changeover and um, people think that's it with a, a brand, but actually it's everything behind it. And every year on, we've really gone through fundamentally, it's a digital transformation journey and an engagement transformation journey over the past five years. So a digital transformation journey, we launched a new intranet and it became a global intranet. So you had a global view of everything. Um, that was so. That was year two. We worked really closely with IT and HR, and, and that's definitely fundamental when you're trying to ensure that your internal comms channels and your strategy has the right messaging and you're delivering to the right people in the right ways. Really partner with your IT and HR colleagues. So that's key. And then using the tools with Office 365. So that was kind of year two, year three. We then launched a mobile app, which has been really successful. And we've now moved into what was supposed to be really heavily in 2020 and has had to take a bit of a backseat, but is something we're working on now is the personalization of our intranet. So if you work in winning work, you might come onto the intranet and be able to see the digital asset library to support you and your bids. Whereas if you work in finance, you might have a different view and getting people to design their intranet the way that works for them. And then I'd say the, the other part around it is around listening as a business. And it has been around what have we done well and what we could we be doing better and year on year working on that. So we partnered with Best Companies in 2017 and issued our first employee engagement survey. And each year we take on that feedback, play it back to employees and develop action plans to address any of the issues or challenges we had. While also, and this is really key, ensuring you maintain what you did well and consistently try and improve on that. So not just forgetting okay, well, we did well in that. We People thought we were great at giving something back last year. So we don't need to focus on that. Actually, it becomes harder every year because you have to maintain the level of engagement, ideally try and increase it while focusing on the areas that might've not gone so well. It has been successful. The year one, when we issued the survey, we were considered one to watch on Best Companies Radar. And in 2020, we were placed uh, one, we achieved one star accreditation and then placed 17th on the Sunday Times top 25 wow. best big companies to work for. So in pretty short space of time, five years might seem like a long time, but really all of that change, a lot of change communication, a lot of behavioral change and getting people to come on the journey. It's a lot to happen in a short space of time. It's an incredible amount. It's it's such an achievement. Just one of those things would probably have been enough. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to go back. You said, you know, and we launched an app 
I think people might be interested in that. Is that, was that an off the shelf solution or did you build it from scratch? We built it from scratch. We had a very, very smart head of digital and we used a platform called Live Tiles to build the app and it is hosted on SharePoint. And so for we weren't able to get the sign off to go externally. So use the tools that we had and we were able to build it in-house, use live tiles to help design it. And then it pulls through, which is which is the benefit of building it in-house is it can pull through what we're sharing on SharePoint um, and anything on our internet that is the platform we use. I will say it's not the easiest journey to build it in-house, but you are able to, to really own it. The challenge, and I would put this as kind of a warning if people are looking to build in houses, think about the commitment afterwards of maintaining it. You wouldn't right. have an app launch and then not put in. If, if you had, if you download an app on your phone, you'd expect bug fixes and things to be improved every month, every quarter. And if you don't have that type of capability in house, then then maybe try and look externally where you might have dedicated resource. So that would be my tip if you're looking to build something in house. We actually had the reason we, we launched an app is we used to do a quarterly magazine and this was an A3 magazine. It looked like a newspaper and we would send it at the end of each quarter to employees' homes and it had really good feedback. But when we actually went to speak to our people, when we did an internal survey and an audit of our channels, people were saying, is it the most sustainable? So questioning our, our kind of printing and sending of that because we sent it globally. It wasn't just in the UK uh-huh. that the... Newspaper reached every single person um, around the globe. And and like you said earlier, that's 24 countries. So we tried to do recycled paper and second class and stuff, but still there was the sustainability element. And then the other part was people saying, well, especially on site, they wanted push notifications and they wanted to easily be able to access information. So the app seemed like the direction to go. So if you're going to put together an app, make sure you have a, a smart strategy around it and what content will be on there. We tried to pull in internal and external feeds. So we have an RSS news feed with industry news. We also have our partnerships with Mental Health UK for our charity partner. Um, and we've used their some of their tips and created a daily dose of well-being. So it doesn't just feel like just your news hub. There's other things that make it feel a bit more like an app that you might use. And also remembering that a lot of people, and it's not at ISG, but a lot of people have bring your own devices and they'll use their phones for internal and external. So your app has to be strong enough to compete with Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn on your phone. Mm. I was going to ask you this later, but I think it's relevant now. People are going to be thinking, what's the size of your team? Because there's a lot of work going on. And I know you have a really interesting team because you have a team looking after both internal and external comms. Can you tell us a little bit about the size and the structure of that team? Yeah, yeah. So under the marketing function as a whole, we have our, our marketing communications director and underneath her, we have digital design, marcoms, PR, CRM and internal comms. So there's six of us with it, six groups within that. And so each group has a head. So I'll look after internal comms. We have a head of PR, head of digital, head of design. And we, as a leadership team, meet monthly, but we also meet as a team, all 20 of us. And that's just in the UK. We then have international teams as well that feed in um, every quarter. And we meet as a team every week. And then again, as a leadership team every month. And the great thing, which I know sometimes people would be like, that is a lot of people to have involved in projects, but 
we're able to look at the calendar and, and the forward planner and say, right, these are the upcoming cam- campaigns or projects. And internal comms is able to influence very early on. Or if we're looking to launch something internally, design or digital or PR might see an opportunity to launch that or campaign it externally. So you actually have all of the right people in the room at the beginning of a conversation. I know this is a luxury. A lot of internal comms people are probably listening to this being like, well, there's one of me and um, it's hard to get everybody else on board. So we're very fortunate that we have that type of structure and being able to liaise directly with the head of visual brand and myself, we're able to connect and ensure that what we're saying is translated um, visually. And what we're also trying to translate visually is translated digitally. And it doesn't just become a siloed group. So we are very fortunate in that sense. I guess anyone listening to this and thinking, you know, I'm not, I'm not fortunate enough to belong to a 20 strong team that looks after all of those aspects and all of those comms disciplines. Presumably, you can still build those relationships and networks. You stand, still can work across your reporting lines. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, and, and a lot of the teams, although we sit as one, we all have our individual teams within that. So one thing that someone on, on my team, I encouraged her to do at the beginning of last year, she's our kind of editor. And I said, you should start joining the design team meetings every month because actually half an hour of you joining, you now have an understanding of what's happening in the next three months for them. And you're able to get involved and ensure that you've seen it and it follows our guidelines and follows our style and our brand. And so I'd really recommend that if you do have teams that sit within the business, try and join their meetings every quarter or every month, even doesn't have to be weekly, start to get a better understanding of what projects they have on the horizon and where you can have your influence. I think that's absolutely great advice. I'm really keen to talk to you about audience mapping. I know that this was a key part of your plan and your sort of strategic approach to comms. First Mm -hmm. of all, what's the purpose of an audience map? And then how do you go about creating one? It's funny, businesses will invest a lot in their marketing strategies and they'll often have huge budgets for PR and, and media. And we would never launch a customer or client-facing website without doing an audience map exercise and developing personas and really ensuring that you understand who might be visiting your business. So I've worked in property before and we knew, okay, that's the bank of mom and dad audience, uh, the pied de terre audience. So you really get an understanding of who are the first time buyers, who is coming and you shape your content strategy based on the people that are likely to come. Now you can't cover every single person, but you can start to develop some key groups. And so for looking internally, it was, well, we're missing a trick here by not applying that same knowledge. And we're actually undergoing a website project and we spent a lot of time and energy into developing those personas externally. So again, it was like, right, we're doing this for these audiences. Let's look internally again. And so how I've approached it is in four steps. So first is, and I'll go into them in detail, but first is around gathering your internal data. Second is taking on a listening exercise. Third, map out and segment your data. And then lastly, create audience personas and start to apply them. So to explain that in more detail, in terms of uh, gathering your data, work with IT, like I said earlier, and work with HR to gather any data that you can get. Um, And this part is about identifying the needs of people at all stages of their employee journey, looking at annual survey data and start to come up with an understanding of demographics, locations, job functions. Who are your people? Who are you speaking to? 
Do you have site employees? Do you have supermarket employees? Do you have people that now work from home? What are the, what's the most common job type? Is it a project manager, a construction manager? Start to work on and developing your data. Step two would be, and, and this is what we've done. We've done everything a little bit backwards, I'll fully admit. Um, but is now in hindsight, I would approach it in this way. Um, so step two is around listening your, to your people. And like I said, we had issued a survey um, about 18 months ago, and then we issued a follow-up survey a few months, about a year later. And so the, the biggest thing with this is just asking people what their preferred channels are and how they prefer to consume news internally and externally. Like I said earlier, if you ever bring your own device to work, you're now competing with not just the noise of the business and emails that you have professionally, but also personally. Um, And also ask them what type of content they're interested in. So if you're in construction, are people interested in project wins? Are people interested in employee stories, knowledge share? Why are they, why would they come to your intranet? Um, And then if you are issuing out a survey and you're finding, you know, we're not getting a lot of engagement from this demographic and it's because they're not coming online, don't issue your survey online. Yeah, <laughs> um, Do that, but also, and I know it's really hard right now. So people, it's harder to get out to sites, but hopefully in the next few months, as things start to ease, try and get out. So if you're, if you have, like I said, healthcare um, workers or supermarket employees or people on construction sites, if you're really struggling struggling to reach those deskless workers, try and visit them and ask them directly. This research will really help you start to understand what their motivators are or what topics they're interested in um, and what channels they like to use. Once you've started to gather that data, you can then start to come up with push and pull factors here. And this is around what's gauging and engaging what is pushing them or attracting them to read your content and what is pulling them away. What are some of their barriers that they're facing? And so by looking at both, you can start to decide how best to approach your content and your channel strategy. Third, it's around segmenting. So here is about actually creating the personas. And this is quite fun. Like put some names to them, put the challenges. Who are they? Are they are usually between this age? Um, what, what do they value? What are they interested in? And like I said, you're not going to cover every single employee, but you will start to see some definite groups. And it's the same as a website. We generally have about four personas. And I think that's a good place to start. Um, and you might come up with a fifth, but I wouldn't go more than that. I think you then start to be in a place that you're trying to deliver too many, too much content in too many different ways. And then does it work? So start to apply the persona to past messaging as well as current messaging. So Imagine you have your personas in a room as a focus group and you're going to show them a new comms campaign. How are they going to respond? What do they like about the messaging? What would prompt them to take action? What's falling flat for them? And use this comms. Look at comms that have done well in the past and see if it works against it. Look at comms that have might not have performed as well. And then also before you're about to launch a campaign, Think of your personas and um, how you're going or any content strategy and see if it will support the, the work that you've done with these personas um, ahead of time. So are you, are you using them to create sort of uh, tailored uh, aspects of a campaign to hit specific groups or is it more clarity around for this campaign or for this piece of content, I know I'm really aiming at persona A and B, not so much C, for example. I I think it's a blend of both. So I think when we're pushing stuff out that might have to go, 
our goal is to reach absolutely everybody, then it's about being like, right, we need to deploy this content on these channels. And it might be five different channels. It might be, we need to make sure we use a push notification. We need to make sure that, because that's going to really support the site workers and they're most likely to engage with us through the mobile app. But we also really need to be mindful about putting it in our CEO communication because that is a key way to get this messaging out. And lastly, a manager briefing pack. And so it might be that, okay, right, this has a wide uh, range of of people that we need to reach. Or it might be like you said, okay, this is actually more site-based. So we're going to focus our efforts on using channels that site employees will find the most useful and that they're going to engage with. So it allows us to understand when we're deploying any communication, big or small, that we have a good understanding of all of our channels, who's consuming it on the other side. And then if we have any gaps, we can, if we need, if we find, okay, there wasn't a lot of engagement here, what other channel could we deploy or what else could we use? So I think it's about just not limiting yourself of, I only have to use this channel because that's what that audience wanted. Using different channels and making sure that you're always thinking of who the audience is and having the audience in mind will help you reach, have further reach. And I know it sounds like a lot of work. And I think a lot of people are like that. I'd rather just push it out on one or two, but in the end, you have to decide what your goals are. And if it's for increased reach across all of your demographics, then you might just have to deploy more channels. And I love the fact that when you're developing your personas, it's not just about those demographics, but it's also, also, as you say, about motivators and need. It's also Mm -hmm. those psychological things, the sort of mind state that these people are in. Yeah, absolutely. Things like employee stories and, and find people are really interested in people. We all know that. So that might be the only reason they're coming is because they want to learn more about their colleagues. And I think in a world where we're living in now, where we're getting even less human connection day to day, profiling people and the great things people are doing on their projects or within the business or outside the business will help people maintain a bit of a connection. And that's why we often join other social channels like Instagram and, and Twitter, and we want to see what people are up to. So we should be applying the same principles internally. Can you explain a little bit about your skimmer, swimmer and deep diver model for creating content and how you use that day to day? Yeah, absolutely. So this model has definitely revolutionized the way we approach content production. I can't take credit for it. I heard it at a popular conference a couple of years back, but it has been incredibly successful. And it's also been called the Oscar approach to writing. And so it means breaking your story into three ways. So the first part is the skimmer. And these are people that want quick and easy access to information. The second part is your swimmers who have a, want a little bit more detail, but nothing that's going to slow them down. And then lastly, you have your deep divers and they want the full story and have some time to explore it. So a skimmer, for example, could sometimes just be a simple push notification, giving the headline and that's it, or a couple of bullet points at the top of a longer story. Swimmers, when they have a bit more time, so this might be a 30 second video or an infographic with a short paragraph, you can get a little bit more information conveyed. And then lastly is the deep diver. And this is when they have the time and interest to explore. And as it says, kind of dive deep into the content. So we use this format internally and externally, um, especially with our storytelling approach we use. So instead of case studies on our website, we write stories with either the client end user or employee, employee as a star of the piece. And we share these internally and externally. And this gives people the opportunity to learn more about the person or client and, and dive 
deep into the technical aspects and the spec and the size and scale of a project if they're doing the deep diver. They also might just want to know really high level information, but something that brings that employee or that project to life. And you can get that through through really smart writing and engaging writing through a skimmer or a swimmer. It's also really important to remember that different audiences and and people might be a skimmer on Monday when they don't have a lot of time and they just have time to read the headline. But on Friday, that might have hooked them in and they might go back and choose to dive a bit deeper. So don't think that one audience is ever only going to be one. They can always be all three. But it has really made an impact in how we write our content. Before it felt, especially working with stakeholders, People want to convey every piece of information. They've just put their heart and soul into building an incredible building or fitting out a a great new office space. And they want to share everything. And we don't want to lose that, but we also know that we're not going to keep the engagement of some people who are actually just interested in maybe a, a story of the site manager or somebody who went above and beyond on the project and or lessons learned. So it's about making sure that you don't lose that information because that is important, but also finding different ways to tell the story. So you almost have three ways you've told a story about one project. And it has worked with stakeholders because we're able to say, actually, we've told it in three different ways. So you're going to have more reach and more engagement and we're not missing out on the technical aspects. And that gets them excited. I love that. And it's such a great discipline for us as content creators because it forces you to think, okay, for those skimmers, what's really the big hook here? What's that yeah. wow fact that we're going to lead with? And and don't just think about it as in writing either. Like the skimmer, like I or swimmer might be a 30 second video or it mm. might be an infographic. So it doesn't always have to be written communication. It could be that it is something in a, in a different form of content. So just be thinking of it that way as well, not just writing out, okay, a shorter piece, a longer piece, and then an even longer piece, be a bit more creative. And again, those personas are going to help you because you've probably identified certain media that is really, really attractive to to one or two of those personas. Yeah, absolutely. Internally and externally. So if we're trying to promote something, especially when it comes to working with like talent acquisition and and trying to get people to understand the culture of the business, we know actually a skimmer is might work really well on Insta stories or it might work well on, I think it's called Fleet now on, on Twitter. And so those different channels and then also we might have a bit of a longer piece on LinkedIn and actually not just deploying it in in the business, but also externally. And I think as soon as you can start to show the reach of all of these things that you've developed within the business, and it's not just supporting your internal strategy, but your marketing and and external communication strategy as well, people start to really, really buy into it. And that's how you start to make a, a huge influence. So you were recently surprised with an award at your own award <laughs> program. <laughs> Tell us about that. Uh, well, I promise it wasn't rigged. <laughs> every time someone <laughs> congratulated me, I was like, this is awkward. And thank you, but it wasn't rigged. So every year after we, I said earlier, we launched a new brand with new values and behaviors. Um, we host our end of year communications events. And at the end of year event, there's an, a part of it called our annual value awards. And we get our employees to vote for their colleagues who they think best represent our four values and bring them to life. And incredibly kindly, I was voted for this year um, and presented with the best, the best awards. So 
very kind. It came full circle, kind of working on those four years ago and being part of the team that helped develop them. And then to, to receive the award was very, very nice. There's lots of different kinds of ways that you can launch value programs and reward and recognition schemes. What are the key aspects of your scheme that you think makes it successful? So I think if you're looking to refresh or launch corporate values, there's a few things to keep in mind. And this is what we did when we launched four years ago. What we've also built on every year, we did do all of this in year one. We've learned and we've continued to bring things in over the past few years. So first, it was really important that we crafted our values into language that will resonate before the values. I mean, I can't even, I had just joined um, and never really remembered them because they they didn't resonate. Something like, they're usually a sentence or two long and they're just not going to land. So we shortened them and really found out what was important to the business, what was in our DNA, what was something that was unique to us and kept them short and punchy. And, and like I said, something that people will remember and then having the behaviors behind your values and explaining what they are is really important. Lots of times people will have the values, but what does that mean? They're internal facing. They should be something that people aspire to, to every single day and, and live those behaviors. And I think the other thing that's made the values land so well in the business is integrating them into employee touch points. So PDRs, we brought them in right at the beginning that when you're doing your annual performance review, you're not just looking at your objectives and how you performed against them, but you're also looking at how you performed against the values. And that makes it seem like the values are absolutely inherent to your day-to-day job. And we developed, I think a couple of years ago, we brought in a capability framework. And what are the again, what are the behaviors behind those values, but also how the behaviors are at different levels in the organization. So if you're someone that leads themselves, the values might seem a little bit different than somebody who might lead entire teams. So one of our values is to speak frankly. How you speak frankly as an employee with no direct reports versus how you might speak frankly with a team of 20 under you will be different. And it's just constantly, every time you get promoted, you're able to build on those. It also gives you, if you're looking to be promoted and further your career, you know what you have to work to. So you're like, okay, well, right now I'm in lead self and that means X, Y, and Z for where I am. But if I want to be pushed to the next level, I need to work on having more open and honest conversations or encouraging others to speak up in meetings. So if I start to show those behaviors and values, people might recognize that actually I am living the values of somebody that is is a step ahead. So it really supports employees' growth and can support their development plan. And then I think our kind of awards program is also being successful because the values have are such an inherent part of the of the business. And the leadership team, they always say that the end of your comms events are the most important part in the calendar year. And they put a lot of time and energy into it. So how it works is we have a three-week campaign, usually in the summer, um, encouraging people to vote. And we'll find a new creative way to get people. So 2020, we did a TikTok video because it was a year of TikTok. And we got our board to do a TikTok video. And in the past, we've done carpool karaoke and we've, we do different things to try and get people to watch the videos and remind them to vote and then deploy every channel out there. So um, like I said, push notifications, manage brief impacts, all on the rest of it to get people to vote. And year on year, we've always seen votes increase, which is great. And then once we have the nominees in, we, so we have all the votes in. We take the short list of four nominees under each value and send it over to the MD. The MD then 
will look at all of the the nominees. The person with the most votes wins. It's totally anonymous. It's completely in the hands of the employees. Um, We encourage people to write a note about why they're voting for that person. Because also if you're an MD of a 600 person business unit, you're unlikely to know every single person. So we really encourage people to say why they're voting for them. And, And something new we brought in this year, which we'll definitely keep into next year is not just about what people have done inside of work, but outside of work. Part of being mm. an employee is about making sure that you show up in, in, in the business, but also, are you volunteering outside of work? Are you contributing to maybe a mentoring scheme or something? What are you doing to give back? And not forgetting the things that people do outside the business, because that absolutely plays into who they are and we should recognize and reward them for it. So we mm. really encourage people to vote for their employees for what they do in the business and outside the business. And then it's a bit of the celebration comes in. And I think that is what sells it. So our winners are crowned at the end of your comms events. Each business unit hosts their own. And in person, these events are normally, we usually have about 20 of these events around the world. This past year, we did it all virtually. So there was a few less, but because we were able to group some together, it's a great celebration. And then the MD looks at the person with the top nominations across each of the values. And if someone received a number of votes within each value, they then put that forwards to the board and we fly 15 nominees over to London when we're allowed to fly and have big gala dinners. <laughs> um, and that is a really special evening. They join the leadership team at a Global Value Gala Awards dinner and we crown the top four winners that night. So it's a really special occasion. And the other part that makes it successful afterwards is profiling those winners three, six, nine months, a year onwards. How has this impacted your career at ISG? How has it made a difference? How have you been able to take this award and and make a significant uh, impact on on your career? And that encourages people to like, I want to be a winner or I want to recognize somebody to have that same opportunity. Absolutely. I mean, that's just gold dust, isn't it? That's great content for, as you say, months to come. And it's just a source of pride when people read these wonderful stories. Absolutely. You you mentioned a couple of times there your manager packs, and I'd love to dig into those a little bit because we know from survey after survey of IC professionals that line managers can often be seen as a stumbling block to effective internal comms. So you have a monthly digital pack for managers. I just wonder if you could tell us a little bit about what's in that. Absolutely. So I think we all know managers are such a critical part of the chain. And often I think we see it as managers being the cascade of information and messaging, which is obviously key. But the real opportunity with these manager briefing packs was around driving the two-way communication, which is something I think a lot of us in IC struggle with of how do we hear back, unless it's the employee survey or the pulse survey, that is a moment in time or that is once a quarter or once every six months. So that day-to-day, week-to-week feedback is so important. So some of the feedback that we had from the employee engagement survey was that employees wanted more organizational clarity, but managers didn't feel that they had the tools in place to keep employees up to date of what was always happening around the business. So I created a pack that has four areas and it we issue it every month um, and it's cascaded from the board down. So it starts with show. And so that's an image or video. If people want to pop it into one of their presentations, they might have a, a monthly meeting with their team. No is the second part. And that's key information. What are the changes that the business is doing? Why is it important? Why is the business doing this? What do people need to know about the 
whatever you're communicating. And we'll communicate things like mental health resources. So why is it important that we're communicating it? We might also communicate changes to our sustainability strategy or leadership changes or a campaign that's launching globally. And we always ensure it's globally relevant. The third part is do. And I think this is really what is a big difference is it's not just the cascade anymore. Now there's a call to action. So often we just have people telling managers, telling employees something, but now it's more powerful because they have something to take away and something they can actually action and do. And then lastly, and this is where the two-way communication comes in, is discuss. So every month we put a couple of discussion points related to the topic. So sometimes this might open up more conversation between line manager and employee. Sometimes it might actually offer us a bit more understanding if that line manager says, by the way, last month I was doing the briefing. This didn't land. People had a lot of questions about this. We're able to then take that back and say, right, X hasn't landed. How else can we communicate? What hasn't made sense? And so it's now having that two-way communication. And I think for people thinking of how to land a good pack and make sure it's successful, coach your leaders on how to cascade it. So it's not about them just forwarding on the pack and saying, hi, all this month's pack available here, which I know there's probably some culprits that that still do, but how do they communicate and make sure it's authentic to them? These are the tools we've given you some of the words, but be authentic and, and coach them to incorporating it into their communications. And, and like I said, the key of having that call to action and the discussion part changes it from just a cascade to something a bit more meaningful. It's such a simple structure, isn't it? Show, no, do, discuss. Yeah. It's simple, it makes sense. Then presumably it builds a familiarity with the line managers getting the same structure every month. They know what every to month. expect. Yeah, I can imagine. And then you're getting direct feedback on what people understood, what they didn't understand, what there's still like more information about. Yeah. Um, And and also, like I said, it opens up that conversation with line managers. So in October for Mental Health Awareness Day, we World Mental Health Day, sorry, we focus the pack all around mental health and well-being. And we put in prompt questions that managers might feel a bit uncomfortable with, but actually they're, they're reading the pack. They're feeling, okay, I have the support from the business on asking these questions. And it might've opened up a bit more of a, an honest dialogue with their people, or if it comes around to PDR season or something of some of the questions we'll put in there is explain, discuss to your teams of why it's so important to have a PDR. Whereas instead of just being like, oh, I have to do this because my manager said so, they're starting to understand the why behind things. And so, yeah, it it has been incredibly, incredibly powerful and a great tool that we have. You mentioned coaching them to use it and be confident users of the pack. Was that a sort of an ad hoc thing as you spoke to managers or did you actually put in some formal training as well? It was a bit more ad hoc. We actually did a marketing roadshow to communicate our upcoming strategy. And in that roadshow, when we were going around, I talked about the manager briefing packs and encouraged if there was any line managers in the room to stay back and and have a chat with me. We also have, when we launched the packs, we had our COOs of each of our business units joining some of those first few meetings as an opportunity that their MDs or any of their directors that might've been cascading the information a bit further that they were in the room and able to kind of say, yeah, this is what, this is making sense and, and, uh, and feeding back up. And I think it has been a bit more ad hoc, but 
I fortunately, again, I think we have some really strong line management at ISG, but I would say if you don't, if you, if you think you do need a bit more of a coaching session, do a briefing call, host a Zoom or a Teams session where you can take people through different ways to communicate it. It doesn't have to be very long. Um, and just reminding them it's not about forwarding it to email. It's not about reading it word for word. You have all the information now at your fingertips. So it's just your way. Do so authentically that people will believe in because they know it's coming from their manager and not just a pack that they're reading. During the pandemic, I know you've had to communicate some tough things, redundancy, furlough, and obviously give comms advice to your senior leaders. From your perspective, what's the long lasting, do you think, impact of the pandemic on the way that we communicate? Is it too early to tell? Or are you seeing some trends already? I definitely think there's some things that have changed. I think the past 12 months has taught all of us that we are, our good communication needs to be about change and adaptability, finding ways to reach a range of audiences, like I've spoken about, and ensuring that your messaging always provides kind of clarity and compassion. I think the way we communicate, there's a lot of boundaries that have been knocked down because everyone's in each other's living room. So even for leadership, we wouldn't have dreamed of putting a video of our CEO in his living room um, up before. We would always get a film crew in. And suddenly that was taken away. So actually having, it comes across a bit more authentic. It comes across a bit more human, which is really key. But then the other thing is about being honest. And I think that has been so fundamental in the past 12 months. The reason the Airbnb redundancy email went viral for all the right reasons was because he was so honest about why he was having to make the tough decisions and wasn't putting kind of corporate jargon around it and fluffing it up in a way that was like, well, it, it just doesn't land with me. I'm losing my job or I'm being put on furlough. And everyone read that. And obviously, if you were impacted, it might have felt a bit different, but everyone's reading it and be like, wow, what a brilliant email. And it's because he just led with, um, with being honest. And I think some of the advice that I've given to the leaders and what we've really stuck to is let's set out our goals guiding principles and we'll communicate what those guiding principles are and let's stick to them and refer back to them. So in every communication that we're doing, we said at the start that our guiding principles are going to be X, Y, and Z. And to support that, this is why we're doing this. So there's just total clarity of why you're making the tough decisions. People, under, people understand businesses. People understand that this is unlike anything anyone has faced in the last century. And you're making these decisions, not just because you're, you're doing it for a knee-jerk reaction, you're sharing the reasons and the why. And I think that is what's going to continue and people are going to expect that of their employers now. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask a little bit about those guiding principles, not necessarily to give them away, but are these guiding principles very much based on some of those softer, more intangible qualities that have come to the fore in the pandemic around empathy and around, you use the word compassion. I don't want you to give anything away, but am, am I sort of, uh, am I barking up the right tree? <laughs> yeah, de definitely. And I think it's, what do we want to be known for as a business? And like I said earlier, bringing it back to our values, we ensured that we say this as a business. We say that we always care, that we speak frankly, that we're never stop learning, dream smart. Those are our values. And we need to make sure that we're sticking to them and everything that we're saying and doing. And not only when it's rosy and, and great, but also when it's a bit more tough. And so that was definitely part of it. 
And then also just as a business, what, like I said, what do we want to be known for? And then there's always, obviously the pandemic had its own financial implications and we were doing everything to make sure that we felt confident that the reasons we might have had to make some tough decisions was always for the best interest in the business, but also to ensure that we could emerge strong as a whole on the other side of the pandemic. And that was really key. So yeah, I I definitely say it's about sticking to your, our values, having the softer, more compassionate side, but also giving people an understanding of we're making these decisions because this has been the impact and we will only ever do X, Y, and Z based on if, if we reach a certain threshold or if we have to do something um, that will impact employees, it's about just communicating it. And I think, like I said earlier, the Airbnb one is such a good example because they were able to say, right, the impact has been that we don't have people traveling and people staying in places and we've built functions to support these, but these areas aren't needed anymore because the demand isn't there. So we're having to make these tough decisions. But as a business, we want to support you in finding a new job. So I think they'd let everybody keep their MacBooks and they did a lot to really support people. And and that's the same approach that we took. Just coming back briefly to your your team, I'm curious, yeah, what, what's the question I want to ask? It's really about the difference between internal and external. So there's this big debate about, you know, how closely they are going to converge, mm. whether we're all just going to be called communicators one day. Yeah. I personally think there's a lot we can borrow, lots of tools and techniques, particularly from marketing that I see can borrow. What's your view on how close they might align? And one day, are we all just going to be communicators? Yeah, we're going to be a mixed turn is often what what kind of comes <laughs> up. Um, like I, I think a lot of the tactics, like I mentioned earlier, around audience mapping and all of that, has come from looking at what we do with marketing and what we do with PR. There's also, I think, a lot we can learn around the crisis comms. So for this, we, we've put a lot of emphasis on media relations being the people that need to be experts in crisis communication. And the pandemic has proven that that's not the case, actually. We really need to be looking at internal comms people as well of having the tools and the tips and the ability to put together a strong crisis communications plan, have business continuity plans, business response plans, and that all comes from internal. I worked really, really closely with our head of PR through the entire pandemic and still do because it was, okay, what we're saying internally may be shared externally as well. And we need to make sure that we're aligned and everything we're saying in the business, we would champion outside of the business. And they, I think often our heads of PR and our media relations teams just have a lot of insight because there's often more crises that happen externally than they they do internally. So hopefully now when you're looking to become an internal comms pro, you're also building on those skills. So I think... But I still think there's um, there's things that internal comms offers that you don't get as much in the PR or media or marketing communities. And it is around the knowledge share. Great podcasts like this. And there's so many other communities that internal comms pros are so much more willing to share what's mm. worked well, what hasn't worked well, any tips that they might have, literal tactics, plans, anything like that. And that I think it might be still the big differentiator. Mm, I totally agree. We're a very generous community, which is lovely to be a part of. For any of those mid-level listeners that are thinking about how they progress in their career, do you have any any particular careers advice? The 
biggest piece of advice I can give is for people to start to think of how they can influence without authority. So internal comms pros will often not that they might not initially have a seat at the table or they might just be called on to calm something or get this email out and being able to influence without having the authority of a C-suite member that might represent you or um, have a really senior director that is ensuring that your strategies and plans are being brought up to the leadership team is, is important. So how to do that? I'd say it's about using your expertise to underpin what your recommendations and requests might be, um, influencing others by sharing information that you know, learning from these podcasts. And, and like I said, that skimmer, swimmer, deep diver, I pulled from a conference and it's made such an impact. And so really bringing the, the, the types of learnings you have into the business and, and start to influence others by sharing that information. Be a bit creative and, and show that creative angle of different ways you can bring information to life and the different resources you have. Um, and that's the, the biggest thing for any person looking to join IC is start to build your relationships and get to know your people this really enables you to know what to expect. People will start to trust you and you start to appreciate your knowledge and your opinion. And again, I know it's harder right now, but leave your desk is yes. so important in, in being in internal comms. One of my first jobs in internal comms, my manager at the time had said, you have to have your ear to the ground and you're the bridge between employees and leadership. And actually that's quite a big responsibility and that's quite it a is. big job. And you should feel really proud and really excited that you're the person that can help make sure that people feel excited about working at your company and excited about telling people to come join. And, and it's a big responsibility, but often you have to influence without the authority of being able to do so. Um, and so again, like a lot of this is around good listening skills, willing to have challenging conversations. Um, and, and like I said earlier, we talk a lot around being human, but about being honest and being accountable and ensuring you're communicating that with your leaders so that they can best get that engagement from employees. And then use the community, such a great community. So, so keep using the internal comms community. One thing you said though, I think always worked for me using your expertise to kind of bolster and prove your point so yeah. you've made a recommendation brilliant and let me explain why this is the best recommendation yeah. and whether you have to bring out a piece of research or a bit of you know, a case study or a bit of thought leadership or past experience but I think that really does make you sound authoritative in your recommendation yeah absolutely we are going to Go to those quick fire questions if you have time. Yeah, absolutely. What would most surprise people about Parathena for Core? This is I, this is always the toughest question. Um, I think what most would surprise people um, is I, I have a huge passion for fitness and training. I grew up playing football um, or soccer, whichever side you're listening to this on. Um, and that always is funny enough when I moved to the UK, that surprised people the most is that I grew up, grew up playing football. Um, and then after a couple of years being here and playing, I did my certification in becoming a personal trainer. So I oh. actually blog for a couple of fitness studios in London to try and have my merge of, of fitness and comms and bringing comms into my life in any way I can. Um, so yeah, that's probably probably the biggest thing that people might not know about me. We'll have to share a link, I think, <laughs> <Rathana>. <laughs> so people can find the other side of you too. Yeah. 
What do you wish you'd known when you first started out in your comms career? I think I wish I knew that comms is so much bigger than PR and media relations. And I think we, when I started working and what you're taught, and I did my degree in communications and it's always, as soon as you enter the workforce, internal comms, people view it as almost a stepping stone into PR or stepping stone into media relations. And I'm so glad I stuck with it. It is such an award rewarding place to be in the comms world. And like I said, you have so much influence and actually a lot of responsibility when you're that person who is creating a culture of informed employees, inspired employees. And it doesn't just, you're creating a place where your people are the mouthpiece of your organization and what you do and how your leaders communicate, which is often comes from you will depend on how the brand is viewed. And that essentially is reputation management and all of that. So all the things that you think of externally, it all starts in the business. And I I wish when I had my first internal comms job, it was my very first job, I wasn't spending all that time trying to figure out how to go into PR. Um, not that I, but I do think there also is definitely importance of having exposure to other parts of the comms mix to make you a really well-rounded communications professional. And I've been fortunate, like I said, of working on a team that is so cross-functional that I'm able to get exposure that way. Um, But it would probably be that, like I said, we have such a great community and stick with the world of IC if I have anything to say to support that. That's the soundbite right there, that one. (laughs) That's a great advert for internal comms. Wonderful. So what book website report, it really doesn't matter. Should all comms professionals read? So these two are probably a bit more recent. Um, I'm not sure if anybody's seen the Roundel 2021 recent report, but that is a really good insight of how people are feeling now. And I think, like we said earlier, there's been a lot of change in the past 12 months and whether or not things are like likely to stay. And some of the things that were interesting in that report, well-being was a number one priority for um, organizations moving forward. But things like diversity and inclusion were still not even in the top three. So I think it's it's a really good report to get some insight into how employees are feeling across the globe and what businesses and employee engagement and internal comms teams are looking to, looking to focus on. And then this also just came out recently, uh, but Bruce Daisley's recent book um, on Audible, No Office Required, was a great listen because Although it is a bit more focused on how to stay connected and how to work from home, it's actually really interesting as an internal comms professional because we've moved from, and for me especially, I've moved from having two audiences, one at work, one in the office and one on site, to what will soon likely be one in the office, one at home and one on site. So you've actually added Mm -hmm. in a third dimension here. And it was just a really great insight to hear from some professionals that work across the communications, across the um, office environment, all of that. It, it was a great read. So, um, or a great listen, sorry, on Audible. So I would, I'd have a listen of that. Brilliant. Show notes again, links in the show notes. We will provide them. Thank you. What would you do tomorrow if you knew for certain you could not fail? This is such a, that was such a hard question. <laughs> and you know what? I think I'm actually going to bring it back up to what I said at the start of what you don't know about me. I think if I knew I couldn't fail, I would probably go and open up a gym and find a way to bring my my calm skills to build a really strong brand and get somebody else to help run the finances because that is not my expertise. <laughs> um, but if I could find a way to successfully merge my love of the fitness industry and my passion for internal comms, it would be it would be that. 
we'll look out for that, Prathna. <laughs> we'll look out for your online classes. <laughs> Finally, what we do is we give you a, a billboard. It's a bit of a metaphorical billboard, really, for millions to see. What message are you going to put on that billboard? It would be prove your presence. And I mm. took on that piece of advice from a mentor about eight years ago, and I have used it in everything I do. So prove your presence as an internal comms professional. Every time you're brought into a meeting, why are you there? Prove your presence there. Prove your presence to cure your imposter syndrome. I've totally and often still do suffer from that. And making sure that if I'm brought into a meeting that I'm thinking like, whoa, how have I managed to come in here? Prove the reason that I'm in, in, in that room. And so I'd encourage everybody, whether you're starting off in internal comms or you're really high flying in your career, um, continue to prove your presence in everything that you do. I have to say, I'm astounded that you would ever suffer from imposter syndrome, <laughs> having listened to you for the last hour talk so intelligently, eloquently about oh, internal you. comms. I think if you're feeling a little bit of imposter syndrome, we are all allowed to feel it. Oh, <laughs> Prathna, I just want to say thank you so much. It's been an absolute delight to speak with you. It's been great. Thanks so much for having me, Katie. So that's a wrap for this episode of the Internal Comms Podcast. If you found it useful, I would be really grateful if you could rate the show on Apple Podcasts because I'm told that's the very best way of increasing the chances that will be found by other IC pros out there. To find out more about the books and the other resources that Prather and I mentioned, head over to the show notes on AB's website. That's abcom, A-B-C-O-M-M, .co.uk forward slash podcasts. You'll find not only the show notes there, but all our other episodes. And while you're on our site, you might like to sign up for our monthly IC newsletter. It's called I Saw This and Thought of You. It'll give you updates on the show, plus other newsy nuggets from the world of POMS. We have many great guests coming up in this season the behavioural scientist guy, William Leach, author of Marketing to Mind States, the wonderful Advita Patel, and a very moving and inspirational episode with Mark Webb. So please, you might want to hit that subscribe button today. And before we go, I'd just like to thank all those listeners who reach out to me on LinkedIn and Twitter to say how much you enjoy the show. Your feedback means the world to me. This show would be nothing without you. All that remains is to say thank you for choosing the Internal Comms Podcast. And until we meet again, lovely listeners, stay safe and well. And remember, it's what's inside that counts. <laughs>